Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. Round 16 review of the game against Geelong and our round 17 preview for the game coming up against Adelaide. Brendan, have you calmed down a little bit after the last Friday night's performance? Oh, I have calmed down there. Now I'm just, uh, I'm no longer angry. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah, no, nah, it was pretty, pretty flat there uh, once, once the game was over and it was um, not too many things went our way after that first quarter there and was um and I like we were we were speaking to each other, we got a bit frustrated there. Just one of those games when uh, the ball nothing goes your way and then like it'd be a congested thing and it'll just pop out and all of a sudden there's a Geelong player there or well, the Geelong player will kick it and it'll magically go to their opponent, whether us it'll go away. So yeah, it was just a um just a frustration. So <laughs> Yeah, it was similar for me. I was watching that first quarter and I thought, okay, but this isn't too bad. This is this is a better start than I expected for sure. And then, uh, yeah, that obviously quickly quickly ended in the second quarter and it was pure frustration for the, for the next three quarters after the first. So uh, we'll jump into it. So we played Geelong, as we said. We lost by a margin of 41 points. It was Essendon, eight goals, nine, 57 to Geelong, 15 goals, eight, 98. Uh, if we go quarter by quarter, that's pretty telling, I suppose. So we spoke about that first quarter. We kicked the four goals, two, 26, to their one goal, one, seven. We had six scoring shots to their two. Uh, we went at 66% conversion. Uh, so we're leading by 19 points at the quarter time break, which was a handy lead, especially playing them at their home there. Um, and I thought that we probably... We probably could have been even a goal or two more uh, on top of what we were. There was a couple of chances that we just didn't take. You obviously can't get them all, but we really held them quite well and missed a couple of extra chances ourselves. So we still went in with a three-goal lead, though, at quarter time. Yeah, and I think that that one goal that they kicked was that um, was that dodgy, uh, deliberate Ridley one in the pocket there and where the umpire was putting Cameron on that angle and, there was, you know, like having a tea party there, how long it took him to set it up there. Um, yeah, but so, like, really, that was a fortunate free kick that they probably shouldn't have got. And, you know, that's the – it would have been one point. And, well, oh, we're really good. But I guess the, the problem is, is, like we said, after that in the second quarter, we just got blown away. So, it you know, 10 scoring shots to two, right? They kicked eight goals to – and we kicked all one goal one, right? They went at eighty percent conversion, us at fifty. Oh, fifty percent conversion. Oh, that's not too bad. But you only had two shots on goal <laughs> compared to ten. That's horrible. <laughs> right? And you know, so they they won the quarter by forty three points, and then led by twenty four. So all our good work in the first quarter was undone, and then they essentially doubled that on top. So it was just it was just a horror. Of a of a second quarter there, yeah. Half time couldn't have come quickly enough. Um, we we're probably lucky to get out of it at the end with with only the eight goals against us. It was 
it, basically they just ran out of time to score any more against us. So with that, I guess we were hoping that they went in at half time, copped a bit of a spray, and would come out uh, ultra competitive in the third quarter. And we did win the third quarter, but it was only by three points. So we kicked two goals, five seventeen to their two goals, two fourteen. So they went at the fifty percent conversion. We went at um, under just about twenty nine percent. So we had seven scoring shots to kick five behinds. Just wasn't good enough. We we weren't able to put any damage on the scoreboard, and uh, we only won the quarter by three points, which meant we were still down by twenty one. So twenty one points at three quarter times not unassailable. Like you know, you got to kick four goals, but it still wasn't a great situation to be in. Yeah, and you mentioned we kicked two goals five. Imagine if we kicked five goals two. Uh, that's that's the difference, you know. To go at twenty nine percent conversion across the quarter, that's just that's just poor. And I think that's been a uh, a general trend for us this year. There's always been one quarter throughout the game we've just been abysmal in, in front of goal, and it's it's cost us a number of times. And then we kind of go into that final quarter there. And you know we just got we just got smashed again. You know they four goals three to our one goal one, two scoring shots to their seven. They won the quarter by twenty points, right? And then they obviously won the game by forty one. So really, if you look at that, but for our three points lead in that third quarter, right? They dominated three quarters of the game. Really, that first quarter was the only real time we ever looked like in control or possible to win. After quarter time, it was there was no chance of us ever being in this game. An interesting breakdown as well is if you break the game into two halves. So often people do it uh, quarter by quarter like we've just done there. But um, you put together the stats here for the half by half breakdown, I suppose. So in the first half, we lose that half by 24 points to Geelong. We kick five goals, 3.33. They kick nine goals, 3.57. So the tails in the conversion there, again, they go at 75%. We go at 62. Uh, they just make the most of their opportunities. And then in the second half, we kick the three goals, 6.24 to their 6.5.41. So we lose that half by 17 points, which I guess adds to the tally of us already being 24 points down in the first half. And uh, our conversion's pretty shocking there, isn't it? Yeah, uh, 33%. That's uh, that's horrible. But I guess what's interesting is we actually did better in that second half than what we did in the first half. We lost by 17 in the second half compared to the 24 in the first half. But don't remember, we dominated that first quarter. So it just goes to show how poorly we went in that second quarter to be down by 24 for them to, like I, I mentioned earlier, for them to not only concede as much as they did to us in that first quarter, but then to come back to that to a neutral point and then just beat us in that second quarter and really put us away. Yeah, I think uh, as a general rule of thumb that I have is if, if you kick five goals in a quarter, that's that's a pretty solid quarter. But, uh, I mean, to let a team kick eight goals is not really acceptable. So, um, yeah, definitely some some issues there for us in this game. I guess if we go into the good, the bad and the ugly, we'll get through the good fairly quickly because there wasn't too much of it, unfortunately. So the first quarter, we've spoken about the first quarter that we were good, we were competitive, we were tackling, the pressure was up, we looked like we were lowering the eyes, making good decisions uh, and it was all coming together. That so, that so that was something good. It obviously ended about quarter time, but still important to note that we had one really solid quarter. Um, Darcy Parrish, was just an absolute star again. He had 28 contested possessions, which is an Essendon record, and he had a total of 43 disposals. So he, he hit the 40s again. He's 
his uh, average is right up there this year. He went at nearly 75% efficiency, had the five marks and three tackles, kicked himself a goal, had 15 inside 50s, 13 clearances. He's been well up there in the clearances uh, this year. And uh, he just had an all-round good game again, Darcy. There's not much more we can say. Yeah, no, he just was just dominated. Obviously, won the uh, the Tom Wills medal there for the best player on ground. Had had another seven score involvements and ten intercepts, which is really really good to see. That you know the the fifteen inside fifties and the ten intercepts shows that he was both sides of the football. He just wasn't a one way player. He was doing the defensive stuff as work as well. So it was really good to see from him. I guess two other players that had some good games, but you know they. They kind of their efficiency kind of let them down a little bit was uh with Zachy Merritt and Jake Stringer. So uh, Zach had the thirty six disposals, five marks, seven tackles, uh, nine inside fifties, kicked a goal, but he went at sixty four percent. And uh, you know Stringer had the twenty five disposals, four marks, three tackles, uh, five tackles, three goals, but he went at sixty percent. So again, we talked earlier about our conversion and. Our disposal efficiency kind of been a bit down, and that's kind of was was borne out. You know that our couple, now two of our best five players in the night were down on their efficiency as well. There's a couple of underrated games as well for some lower profile players in the side. Um, so Jaden Laverde had 12 disposals at 83 percent efficiency, had the four marks, a couple of tackles, four rebound 50s, two score involvements, and six intercepts from 82 percent game time. Only had the two clangers uh, and the two turnovers. Had a free kick against as well, but that's not too bad considering the amount of uh, supply that Geelong were getting down there. Um, I think probably at first glance, a lot of people might say, well, hang on, Jaden played on Tom Hawkins and Tom Hawkins kicked six goals. But that's if you actually go back and watch the game, that's not really the case, is it? No. So in that first quarter, he, he Laverde played on Hawkins and he beat him at every contest. And that was when... And then... In the start of the second, that's when Cameron was getting in tow, and Cameron was actually playing on um, Stewart. And that's when I thought, well, you know, Cameron's getting on top, but, you know, at least Laverde's doing a really good job on Hawkins. And once Stewart went down, I think they were struggling for a matchup for Stewart. They didn't know quite what they were doing, and they switched Stewart on Hawkins, and that's when the goals started to come. Unfortunate for Stewie, he didn't, you know, some of those ones it was kind of out of his control there. And not all those goals that one Hawkins came from from anything that Stewart did wrong. There was a couple of um, errors in matchups and there's obviously that one where Draper tapped the ball straight to him in the goal square. But you know, the only the only one you could say the only poor performance from Laverde on the night was the one where Hawkins kicked that so people remember danger burst out through the middle and then hit Hawkins on the lead. But that was one of those things, you know, no player on the ground moved apart from <laughs> Dangerfield and Hawkins because it was just a burst play out of the middle. He had no time. You could have 15 men in the back line and they couldn't have stopped that. So that, that you couldn't really count that against any player. Right? You know, and that, and so I thought Laverde had a pretty good night and, you know, well, we'll talk about him a bit more in the votes, I guess. But another a low-profile player was Will Snelling. Um, you know, came came back from injury. Obviously, you think, you know, we played at half forward. The ball wasn't down there much. He, he's kind of an interesting player. He doesn't really show up big on the scoreboard or on the stats sheet. So you don't really know 
what type of impact he had. But he had the 24 disposals, 70% efficiency, two marks, seven tackles, three inside 50s, three score involvements. And it was, you know, pretty neat and tidy. You know, you, you certainly thought he had a pretty good game there, Mark. Yeah, I thought coming back from injury, you know, he's missed a few weeks and you can quickly fall out of a bit of match fitness with that kind of time frame. And um, he slipped straight back in and seven tackles again. It's just all the hallmarks of his game were there straight away. So, uh, like you said, he's not necessarily hitting the scoreboard and some people might sort of knock him for that. But I don't think we could really could have asked for much more out of Will Snelling in a game like that on Friday night to have 24 touches, 70% efficiency, doing all the pressure things with the seven tackles. Um, there's, there's really not a hell of a lot more I don't think Will could have done. So I think he played his role pretty well perfectly um, in what was a tough game in that position. Uh, that wraps up the good category. There obviously wasn't a great deal for the, the goods this week. The bad, bear with us. This list goes for a little bit longer. So we were beaten to the ball across the ground. So they had 41 more kicks than us. They had 11 more handballs than us. They had less total disposals but were more effective with their disposal so the contested possession we actually uh were one up in the in oh sorry they were one up in the contested possession uncontested possessions uh they were 21 up so they had a lot more loose ball than us sorry the disposals they had 30 more disposals i read it the wrong way so they've pretty much just smashed us in everything other than we've had more handballs than they have so we've sort of mucked around with the ball a little bit they've just been much more effective and had the ball in hand more often than us. Yeah, so they they beat us on the inside, they beat us on the outside pretty much. I think that was kind of evident throughout the game. Um, they had, you know, we had the more handballs and that probably talks to our uh, our game style, having want to handball a bit more uh, than the opposition. That's kind of how we look to move the ball forward, uh, which means but they, they had more kicks than us, which happens a bit. But to have 41 more, I think that was illustrative of the lack of pressure on them. And I guess the, we'll talk talk to this next stat, which is the marking stats where we had an inability to lie our eyes, but also we played into their hands. They had 33 more marks across the game. So that means that they had obviously more kicks, which means they could kick to players, but they were kicking the guys out in the open, blokes who were free. Like we weren't manning up, you know, we weren't, corralling them to stop those kicks. There's no pressure on the kicker and there's no pressure on the marker. And that's kind of was really evident, I thought, throughout the night. You know, not only did they have more kicks in general play, but specifically, sorry, more marks in general play. They had eight marks inside 50, eight more marks inside 50. So 13 marks inside 50 is a hell of a high number. So that's, that's 13 essential shots on goal from a, from a position inside 50 where, you know, you probably should look to score most times. And, you know, that's, I thought that was just the lack of pressure that was really, really hurt us. Yeah, and having having 13 marks inside 50, like you said, if you're marking it inside 50, more than likely you're having a shot on goal. And that, that means you've got your 30 seconds to catch your breath and have a static shot on goal with very little pressure um, coming at you. So, uh, yeah, definitely a big number there. Uh, the... But also what it also does, it lets you to set up your defence as well. So say you're having a shot for goal, you might miss it, there's a behind. You've got that 30 seconds to station your your side for the kick out, which then you get you it continues to get you repeat entries inside 50. You lock the ball in. You kind of force and that was something that happened on the night. We couldn't transition the ball up the ground. Once we was in there, it kind of got stuck in there until they eventually kicked the goal. Then it went back to the center. 
right? But because <laughs> we were playing so poorly, once we went back to the centre, this went straight back into the 50 again. We couldn't really get the ball going our way. The next item we had down here was that we just didn't take enough care with the footy in our hands. So um, Geelong actually had three more turnovers than us, but we had nine more clangers. And then effective disposals, they were they had 26 more effective disposals than us. So the, the actual disposal efficiency on face value is uh, is quite similar. We went at 71.1%. They went at 72.4%. But, uh, I mean, you know, if you're having 26 more times you've used the ball better than your opposition, that starts to add up over the game. And, you know, that generates a couple of goals and you've got to somehow find that the other way. So just needs to be a little bit cleaner uh, with the ball in hand. Yeah, we had 70 turnovers on top of 65 clangers for the game. <laughs> so... Sometimes they'll, you know, they'll be categorised as both there. But still, that's just not using the ball well enough, right? And then when you factor in our efficiency inside 50, it was incredibly poor as well. So we had we had 17 more inside 50s. We had 62 inside 50s for the game, and Geelong only had 45. Right? So there, once they got the ball inside their 50, their conversion rate was through the roof, Right? And, you know, so we had for percentage of goals from inside 50, we had 12% of our goals, 12 of the inside 50s that we had, only 12% of them converted into goals, whereas Geelong was at 33%. So one in one in every three times they went inside 50, they kicked a goal. <laughs> so it was just, it was just a diabolical across the name. And then I guess what's, what was also, we talk about, Having a lot of inside 50s is great, but we didn't do enough to keep the pressure to keep it on there because the rebound 50s, we were down by 24. They had 54 rebound 50s. So, you know, of the 62 inside 50s that we had, 54 of them came out the other way. <laughs> so, really, we didn't get a great deal. We got, what, well, eight, eight of our inside 50s actually amounted to something. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of reward for effort there. We're just letting it out way too often uh, on Friday night um, is what the stats show. And then that probably nicely leads into the scoring being way down. So Geelong had 23 scoring shots to our 17, so they were up by six in that in that stat. And then you've sort of touched on the conversion already. We went at 47%. They went at 65 uh, The disposals per goal is one that we mention every week. And uh, so Essendon... Disposal per goal was over 42 touches per goal and Geelong were just 24. So it's a, it's a massive difference to have to touch the ball nearly 50 times before you generate a goal compared to the team that's doing it nearly half half the rate what you're doing it at um, is, is pretty telling. And then score involvements, they had the 85 score involvements. We only had the 63. So we're just in all facets of scoring, we were down and just generally poor. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of, as you can kind of see through all these stats we've kind of talked about, I just talked about the trend. So they got more ball on the inside, they got more ball on the outside. When they used the ball, they were using it by foot. So they were kicking it a lot more, which then leads to a lot more marks, which then, because they were more tidy with their ball and didn't turn it over, leads, leads to the ball going inside 50, right? And when they're inside 50, they're more efficient, so they score more, right? Whereas conversely, we weren't kicking the ball we were handballing it, so we were down on marks. We turned it over. We, you know, and when we did get inside 50, even though we we're getting inside 50 a heap, 
because of because of our turnovers were high, they were just rebounding that ball out of the fifty, getting it forward, and then as you talked about here with conversion, once the ball was getting in there, they just dominating on the scoreboard. And I kind of this is kind of a unique stat. It's kind of really hard to to kind of talk about how it directly impacts on the game and it's kind of dependent week by week condition, stuff like that. But I think it was really illustrative of the performances, the one percenters. So that's like your blocks, your shepherds, your little th- things you do for your teammates to kind of get them involved. And I think that aren't necessarily things, the kicks, marks, handballs, goals, right? So we were down by 28. They had 71 percenters to our 42. So that shows they were working for each other more. They were looking to kind of do the little things to help the team out and to get the win. And that's the things that we, we just weren't able to do. The next item here we had was that we were beaten in the ruck by what Geelong had a, a bit of a substandard ruck uh, opponent. So I, I don't think Reece Stanley's necessarily their first option. Um, and Draper just didn't have really a great night. I know it's only his 13th game. So it's obviously inexperienced and that's going to happen. Um, but I think just the general feeling was that we were sort of beaten in the ruck. I, I guess the hitouts, interestingly, don't really show that because we had we had one more hitout overall across the game than they did. But I think it really shows up in the clearances and the stoppage clearances as well. So they they had fourteen more clearances than us, and uh, we, so we were up slightly in the centre clearances. But the stoppage clearances, they had sixteen more stoppage clearances than us. So, like you said before, they were better inside, which meant they fed it outside. And they were better on the outside as well. So. Um, yeah, just slightly down in, I guess, getting on top in the ruck, and then that probably translated to some of our mids not being that good around the stoppages. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know, center clearances are important, but center clearances only happen after a goal or at the start of quarters, really. Right? Whereas stopping clearances are, you know, the ones where you're going to get the majority of the clearances throughout the game, and you know, with with Parish and Merritt there. You know, you can only do, you know, Stringer helps out as well, but you can only do so much from too few. You can't rely on three players to do everything. Whereas Geelong, they had their main main midfield and they had guys rotating in off the flanks and the wings and they really got involved. And when you're, when you're at a stoppage clearance, right, all those guys are all in the pack. It's not like your Ruckman are three midfielders like it is at a setting clearance, right? It's all those guys are in together and that's where you're blocking and your sacrificial stuff, those one percenters I was talking about, really comes in, in into play. So, um, yeah, it was as you said, we got got beaten in the ruck, but it was more the clear the the lack of effectiveness in the hitouts is probably what was a, a key. So, you know, it was interesting looking at the stats. We had eight players got under ten disposals, and we had nine players with less than two tackles. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure what exactly would lead to that. You would think if you don't have the ball, you know, you're at least going to be getting tackles. That obviously wasn't the case. What did you think about that one? Yeah, I think it's – especially when we said before that someone like Snelling had seven tackles on his own, like that means that he's probably had as many tackles as, you know, four or five other players combined in our side. So I think tackling is not something that's position – you know, critical, like you can do it in any position on the ground. You don't need a particular skill set to tackle or anything like that or level of fitness really. So 
Um, it's been something that's been quite good. And I think our tackle numbers weren't too bad again this week. But when you break it down, you don't want all your tackles coming from the same people all the time. You know, your Darcy Parishes and your Will Snellings and the like. So, um, you know, Jaden Laverde and those guys that go that go pretty hard. You want you want an, an even contribution. And I guess that that's what that highlights is to have, you know, some players with no tackles and a fair few with under two. Um, it just shows that there's there's a bit more room for improvement there to to become a bit more physical and, and create more pressure. Yeah, well, you'd much rather have Darcy get 20 disposals and have, you know, four tackles, right, than, and have an extra two or three players get an extra, you know, 10, 15 disposals and more tackles. You know, it tackles are an effort-based stat. It's not a skill-based stat, right? So, um, yeah, it was certainly disappointing and look, Geelong are a good side, but you know when they've got so much more of the ball, there's more opportunities for you to tackle. I guess so. That was kind of disappointing to see. Next one we had here was that some of our younger players are starting to slow down a bit. Um, so Nick Cox only had the eight disposals at 62% efficiency. Really struggled to get into the game until probably after half time. Um, Archie Perkins only had the eight disposals. He went at 75% efficiency. He did have the four tackles, so his, his, his pressure was a little bit more up, um, but sort of just struggled again and had, had three free kicks against him as well, which is, which is sort of getting up there. Uh, Braden Ham had eight disposals at 75% efficiency. He had the three tackles as well. Uh, he, kicked, he kicked it behind, but again, had three free kicks against him, four clangers and three turnovers. So... Uh, I guess what what we're seeing in the last couple of weeks is some of these young guys just I I don't know I thought after the after the bye maybe it would sort of refresh everyone and I thought in particular um, the older sort of senior players you know your Kyle Hookers and and those sort of guys but uh, what we're seeing is probably the opposite a little bit where some of these younger kids are struggling and that might be for a number of reasons you know some of these players didn't play at all last year uh, and some had limited opportunities so. Hopefully they can bounce back now that we've got a string of games at home. Um, they've obviously been away from home a little bit this year too, so hopefully they can bounce back in the next couple of weeks. What I will say, Cox, Perkins and Ham, they're kind of playing that wing on a flank, maybe inside, mid a little bit. In the past two weeks, we played Geelong and Melbourne, who are both top four sides. And, you know, they're, they've got a lot of good players on the wings and the flanks to supplement their midfield rotation. So they have been playing on better players in the particular last two weeks than what they have previously. But it just looks – it does look like they've slowed, right, and that's completely understandable given their age and, you know, lack of football. But, you know, I think the question is probably we'll talk a little bit later, Mark. You know, do we start to maybe get them into some VFL football to play at that level, maybe build up some confidence? Uh, if we do that, who do we bring in? Now, if we're going to play a guy, is there value of playing them at VFL? You just you just got to get the game time into them. You know, I think there was a there was a comment. I think it was um, from Josh Marnie or somebody else in the football department saying that the goal was to get these younger guys fifteen plus games this year at AFL level. Is that still something that they see value in of just getting experience at the pace of the game, as opposed to? having big stats and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I guess it, it comes to a point where you're performing at such a level where selection pre- dictates you have to go down and somebody else comes up. I think the other thing, too, just to finish on this younger players topic, is uh, Nick Cox and Braden Hare both predominantly play on the wing. 
Geelong's a very narrow ground, probably the narrowest ground in the league. So it's probably naturally harder to play on the wing on that ground. So that, that might have been a, a factor as well. Um, I guess the other thing to do, if we don't have that depth where we can, um, you know, get them to go back to VFL and, and to get some form and some touch is maybe throwing them around on the ground, like maybe get them into a different position. You know, why not put Nick Cox at centre-half forward or, um, you know, Chuck Archie Perkins more in the midfield uh, to, to help out in there. So maybe we can see some um, on-field changes as well to give them new opportunities, new roles as well. Um, the next item we had here was the forward line structure not really working. So that's probably been something that's happened the last couple of weeks, two or three weeks. And we seem to be more relying on individual acts of brilliance to generate our goals. So, you know, the first goal was by Stringer doing a big check side that went through. And, you know, in the past couple of weeks, we've seen, um, you know, Harry Jones, you know, kick a, kick a goal out of the air in the goal square and we've seen soccer goals off the ground and things like that. They're all good and you still need that, but we're probably seeing a little bit less of the go back and have a set shot and convert your goals. So um, of the forwards, we've got Kyle Hooker had the five disposals at 40% efficiency. Um, only had the one mark and three score involvements. He's trying hard, but it's just, he's just not being able to get, get to the ball and the, the delivery to him isn't great. Either uh, Peter Wright had the twelve disposals at eighty three percent efficiency, um, just the one mark as well, which at at his height and his size, I guess we're hoping for a little bit more than that uh, per game. Harry Jones uh, probably really struggled as well, particularly in the first half. He ended up with the five disposals and a couple of marks and kicked a goal. Um, Tipper had the seven disposals, went at fifty seven percent efficiency, so it was a little bit a little bit sloppy. And uh, he had the four tackles, so his, his pressure game was sort of there, but he's just not quite getting quite getting uh, as as much hand to the ball. He did kick the two goals, though, so he's probably one of our better forwards, in fairness, uh, on the night. And Alec Waterman had the nine disposals at 55% efficiency, uh, had three tackles, kicked it behind, um, just had a couple of – had sort of a long shot at goal, didn't sort of quite make it. Unfortunately, no one got back on the line. Everyone thought he must have been able to kick 70 metres, but – uh, yeah, just the forward line structure is just not quite working at the moment. Yeah, yeah, that, that Waterman goal on the line is really disappointing considering we were desperate for uh, a goal there. And it's just like, yes, okay, you think he can kick the ball a long way, but you still got to put a man <laughs> on there to shepherd it through just in case. It was just, and that was kind of maybe just a lapse in concentration that might be brought out by having a young side, not doing the little things that you need to do. Um, yeah, it was um, it's disappointing across the night. You see, like you said, 40%, 60%, 70%, 57%, 56% efficiency. Apart from Peter Wright, who I think was getting up uh, up the ground a bit more, um, the efficiency rate was was lower. And just, you know, across, the, across those five players, they collectively got 30 disposals. So is that is that good enough? From you know, and Hooksy uh, take out, or you know Harrison Jones. They're all guys that are you know twenty four plus. So they've all seen a lot of football across, at various levels across their careers. That's just that's just not enough from from what are senior players. Talking about some other senior players here, there was a couple more, there were a few more that just didn't quite do enough across the game. So Tom Cutler came in. 
Um, wasn't the sub or anything. He came in for a full game and had 13 disposals at 84% efficiency, just the one tackle. Um, he He's such a beast at VFL level. I know that it's different, a different league, but if he could only bring some of that physicality to, to his AFL game, you just wonder what sort of player he could be. Devin Smith had the 12 disposals at just 58% efficiency. Um, he didn't go give away any free kicks uh, or 50 meter penalties, thankfully this week. But his best and his worst are just so far apart at the moment. You know, you see that big chase down effort on Dangerfield, and that that's really a team lifting thing. Like he probably ran 30 or 40 meters to get him and really nailed him, and it can really change the momentum. But then, you know, you, you see him five minutes earlier drop a sitter in the forward line, and uh, you know, cost us an opportunity to have a shot on goal. So his best and his worst are just too far apart at the moment. James Stewart, we mentioned earlier, so he had 13 disposals at 84% efficiency. Um, but he just seemed to really struggle to find the matchup uh, in this game. Sort of on Cameron early, Cameron was getting hold of him. And then, uh, you know, Hawkins also really wasn't quite the matchup. And there wasn't too many options outside of that uh, to, to match his sort of height, size, and pace. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of will kind of move on to more some bugbears of mine that I raise every week. So uh, bear with me. Um, let the opposition players get a hold of us again. Uh, you know, Dangerfield, Hawkins, Stewart, they're Geelong's three best players and we let them have their way with us, right? What Ross Lyon has a saying, don't get beat by what you know. We knew we had to stop those three players and we didn't do it. Another bugbear of mine is uh, letting lower-profile players have days out against us, right? Tommy Atkins has come out and he's had probably one of his best games of his career. Most people wouldn't even know who Tom Atkins is. Uh, yeah, the 29 disposals, five marks, six tackles, you know, three score involvements, eight intercepts, and was one of their better players. And we got beaten by two guys that have been, you know, playing for... 15 years each in Joel Selwood and Isaac Smith. Selwood beat us on the inside and Smith beat us on the outside. So really, what can you do when their five of their best, you know, dozen players have their way with you? It's, um, it's just frustrating. And I say it every week and nothing gets done about it. I know we're a young side and, you know, these things happen, but you would think going into the game – you would look to not just back your own system in. Sometimes you've got to do something to disrupt the opposition's uh, best plays and stop what they're doing. And, and when, you know, you've got Dangerfield's a Brownlow medalist and Hawkins a Coleman medalist and Stewart's, you know, been one of the most consistent uh, defenders in the comp for the past three years, you would think you could figure something out. Onto the ugly category. We had a few few uglies here. We, uh, we'll quickly move on. The second quarter, we've spoken about it. We conceded eight straight goals. It's the seventh time this year that we've conceded a run of six goals or more. So that really points to the fact that we're struggling at times to stop the opposition's momentum. And what you pretty much what you just said then, that you sometimes need to put a bit more of a plan into disrupting what they do well. Um, second category in the ugly was that we were playing for a spot in the top eight and there was just not enough effort or hunger. I think I made the comment to you that, you know, we're playing for a spot in the top eight, but you could have mistaken it for the fact that we were playing for a Coles gift voucher. Like there just was no, there was no intent or intensity there, or you, you couldn't see that this was a side that was really hungry to go to that next step. 
um, just wasn't wasn't there. And then you mentioned a little bit earlier as well that the depth we we just don't have a lot of depth waiting. Our we'll go through the VFL score shortly, but um, there's not a lot to pick from, I guess, below the list that we currently got out of the park in the AFL senior team. Yes, yes. I think we'll um <laughs> we'll move on from the game review. That's all over. <laughs> but we'll move on to our. Uh, uh, SNM People Podcast Player of the Year Award, which is, you know, the Heath Hocking Medal. So um, I'll go first in my vote. So I, I gave uh, the one vote to Jordan Ridley. I thought he had a really a really good game um, in the circumstances there. I don't think there was too many good players across the across the ground, but I thought his game was pretty good. He had the 17 disposals, went at 94% efficiency, which I think was big, had the six tackles and uh, 11 intercepts. And I think considering how much the ball was getting down there, I think he um, he played a really valuable role. Uh, Jakey Stringer, I gave him my two votes. As you mentioned earlier, kicked the, kicked the three goals, had the eight clearances, eight inside 50s. Um, Zachy Merritt got my three votes, 36 disposals and uh, five score involvements, tackles and a goal. Jaden Laverde, I gave my four votes. I thought Lav had a really, uh, really good game. I He's one of my one of my boys. He's uh, Laverty, so I keep a, a close eye in on him. And I uh, I don't think he lost a contest for the night. And I thought it was a mistake uh, moving him off Hawkins. I thought he did a good job containing Hawkins, and then um, he kind of got thrown around a bit onto the resting Ruckman and kind of that there. But he, he didn't get beaten for the night, so he got my uh, four votes to Laverty. And the five votes obviously is um, the big man Darcy Parrish with the forty three touches. Uh, Mark, what are your votes? Yeah, my one vote went to Jake Stringer. Um, you pretty much touched on it. I thought he was really good, especially early, and and sort of um, he's playing out of his skin a little bit at the moment. His efficiency was a little bit down, but to kick the three goals and and have five tackles and 25 disposals was quite good. My two votes went to Will Snelling. We mentioned earlier that he had the 24 disposals at 70% efficiency, the seven tackles. Uh, I, I thought he was really good in his role, um, you know, the – Part of the criteria here for the, for the votes that we give is, is I guess, your teamwork and your role and, and those sort of things. And I think, you know, having the seven tackles and playing his role really well um, was deserving of a couple of votes. Jaden Laverde, I gave my three votes to. Similar reason for you. I think he was really competitive on the night. He um, was was very rarely beaten uh, when you watch his game in isolation and, um, and he tried his heart out all night. My four votes I gave to Zach Merritt. 36 disposals in the midfield. Um, again, just just went all out, did as much as he could. And then the five votes, obviously, to Darcy Parrish as well. So we might uh, go to a quick break and we'll come back with some club news and then our VFLW and VFL updates. So we had some positive club news today, Brennan. We had the announcement from the club that Darcy Parrish has agreed to terms on a new two-year deal to stay in the red and black uh, until the end of 2023. Um, what did you make of that? Uh, absolutely fantastic. Um, he's having a career year this year. He's only 23, um, you know, so he's potentially um, potentially going to win the Brownlow this year, I think. He's, uh, he's playing that well. He's definitely uh, in with a shot, uh, you know, it's um it's interesting to see that he's played 108 games of a possible 123, so he's missed uh, probably a few through injury. I know there was a period there where he we had to go back to the to the VFL there, which I thought was um 
whisks had some whiskers over at the time. Uh, but you know, number five pick in the twenty fifteen draft, he was the best midfielder in that draft, and it's um, it's taken what five years and a change of coach to see him uh, eventually played in the midfield in the position he was drafted. So I know we're we're certainly not the lone rangers in um in seeing that he's play a midfielder in the midfield and he plays well. Yeah, I think that's kind of been something that a lot of us and supporters and uh, have been crying out for over the years. And um, yeah, it's just uh, it's just amazing that how everybody could see it, but the coaches couldn't. And um, I think we said this last week or the week before. We could have been um, seeing this out of Darcy two to three years ago. So it's um, sad that it's taken this long, but at least it's eventually happened. And um, really happy we've got a new two year. Darcy for another two years. So Darcy Parish ranks first in the league for centre clearances per game, second for effective disposals, third for inside fifties per game, and fourth for overall disposals. So he's right up there, like you said, surely in uh, all Australian and probably in the Brownlow talk now as well. Should poll poll some votes through the year. Um, some quotes from Darcy himself. He said, uh, we're building something pretty special at Essendon. It was a very easy decision to sign on again. So that's quite comforting to hear that uh, as an Essendon fan and supporter, that uh, it was an easy decision for him and that it seems like he didn't really consider any other options that would have been thrown at him. Uh, He said, we have a really clear plan under Truck and Dyson and their leadership, and we're really determined to and hungry to build on what we've started this year, but we know we have a long way to go. It's been a really enjoyable place to be this season. I think that's really evident to our members and supporters that we have a lot of growth in us and as a developing team. I'm excited to continue to build on my own game and see what's in store as we continue to develop as a playing group over the coming years. So some really positive comments from Darcy. Uh, recognises, you know, the coach, the captain, the members and uh, the, the overall group and the development that they've made. Um, so some, some really comforting words and some exciting words as well. Yeah, it's really interesting to see that he said it's been a really enjoyable place to to be this season. Um, <laughs> one of those things, uh, statement by omission. <laughs> if it's if it's good this season, uh, pretty much saying it wasn't that great in previous, maybe. Uh, so um, yeah, move under some quotes from uh, from Adrian Dodoro, the head of list management. Um, really pleased for Darcy, and we're delighted to remain with us. Um, there's no doubt that with the opportunity that presented itself this season in the midfield, uh, Darcy has made the most of his chance and has put together an outstanding year to date and is on his way to establishing himself as a premier midfield across the competition. Uh, at only 23 years of age, we know Darcy still has growth left in his game and we look forward to seeing his contribution to our developing playing group over at, at least the next two years. Um, so... I agree with that. I think the interesting quote there from the Doro is we know that Darcy still has growth left in his game. Uh, I guess all good players can still continue to improve. And I guess, uh, you know, we talked about how dominant he is at centre clearances and, you know, you know, he talked about goal assists and effective disposals and inside 50s. I think maybe the area that I can see, Mark, is that it's probably the lowering of his eyes and he's kicking a little bit. He's really he's elite by hand. I think he's probably in the the best player in the competition. Maybe you could argue two or three other players at his level in terms of his quick hands. Below his knees, picking the ball up in congestion in tight space, 
He's got great vision and he can feed that quick handball out and get blokes into space. We've talked a lot this year, Mark, about the combination he's had with uh, Zach Merritt in terms of him feeding the ball out to Merritt and Merritt uh, moving it all on the outside. But I think he's kicking something in his game that he can improve. And I kind of I think we talked about maybe someone like uh, Lockie Neal, who's last year's Brownlow medalist, how he really, when he went to Brisbane, the one thing he really worked on was his kicking. Because I think he was a two, two or three time best and fairest at, at Fremantle there, and was like Darcy, a bit of a smaller mid. Took some time, a leak by his hand. But when he went to Brisbane, or just with a bit of growth and maturity, uh, he kind of added that kicking to his game and became a real weapon for him and really opened the game up for him. So um, if that's something he could develop, I think. You know, he's going to go from an A plus player that he already is now to an A plus 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 player. So, yeah, so really good news that Darcy Parrish has signed on for another two years. Uh, we'll jump into the VFLW result. They played in their elimination final and they had a win over Casey by three points. So, uh, the girls kicked five goals, five thirty-five to Casey's five goals, two thirty-two. Um, the it was sort of the the, the second quarter was kind of the one that did it. They uh, they piled on four goals too in the second quarter and uh, really got ahead. And then in the third quarter, uh, Casey sort of did the same, kicked three goals. It was there was a bit of a wind um, in the game and that probably contributed a bit. Um, so the goals were Barber, Hosking, Davies, Slender and RNs. And some of the better players in the day were Georgia Nanskowin, the captain, uh, 28 disposals, one mark and 12 tackles. Cecilia McIntosh, 20 disposals, six marks and four tackles. Lauren Arens, 19 disposals, four marks and four tackles. Alana Barbara, 18 disposals, one mark and 11 tackles. Mia Ray Clifford, 13 disposals, six marks, seven tackles. And Georgia Prisparkas, who's played some pretty good footy um, lately there as well, 14 disposals and 10 tackles. Um, so that's quite a good result. We, we, uh, we win a final. Yeah, been a fight. Haven't haven't been able to say that for uh, <laughs> for a long time. There, so wins a final. Um, yeah, what I what I really noticed about this, lot, lots of uh, high numbers there from some senior players in terms of disposals. Talked about Nan Scow and McIntosh, Hearns and Barber, but it's really the tackles. Like you know, Nan Scow with twelve tackles, Alana Barber with eleven tackles, uh, Georgie Pasparkas. I think she's seventeen, oh, 16, 17. She's quite young, Georgie. Just stab up. Stepped up from the NAB League, the Calder Cannons, into uh, our side this year. The, the ten tackles—that's a that's a massive effort, and she's um she's going to be a real star of the future. Her sister's already, you know, an absolute, you know, one of the best players in the AFLW, and it looks like Georgie's uh, going to on the same track to be a similar dominant player. So uh, it's um it's really good to see the girls make finals, firstly, but then also win it, you know. We've only had the VFLW program for three years now, and I think in that first year, we only won one game. So for in the space of three years to go from winning one game to, to winning a final and, you know, moving into a semi-final next week, um, yeah, it's really impressive how quickly it's uh, it's turned around for them. And, um, yeah, hopefully they can continue winning. So they've got, the, they've got a double chance now in the finals. So uh, they played Collingwood this week at Victoria Park on Saturday. From 12 p.m. So hopefully they can uh, they can win that game and they don't need to use their second chance. But they've uh, at least they've uh, done well enough that they've got that second chance in their back pocket. And um, yeah, let's ho- hopefully we can uh, we can beat the pies again. <laughs> Be good to see. And I think in the, in the 
Uh, VFLW Collingwood is undefeated, but when we played them on Anzac Day, it was quite a close game um, then. So it's definitely not with, not with out of reach. So that'll be interesting to watch on Saturday. Uh, onto the VFL. Um, the VFL team had a pretty hard game. They played Geelong as well, just prior to our game, and they went down by 75 points. So Essendon three goals, nine twenty-seven to Geelong sixteen goals, six hundred and two. Yeah, what I'll mention with that, that was a that was kind of a curtain raiser to the AFL game. I guess people would have seen in the AFL game it was a bit slippery um, conditions, a bit dewy, and the reason for that was is <laughs> in the hours previous to that. It, it rained heavily. So this game was heavily rain affected. Um, having said that, <laughs> Geelong still managed to kick six and goals when he kicked the, uh, kicked the three. But um, I guess uh, the tape, what is it, Mark? Conversion? Three goals, nine, 27? Like that's, I think that we talked a lot about conversion with the AFL side. And um, yeah, something the VFL sides, uh, he kind of struggled with it through that game as well. So uh, we had 12 AFL-listed players playing this game. So we'll start off with Marty Gleeson. He had the uh, 19 disposals, six marks and three tackles. Uh, Zaharakis had the 12 disposals, four marks, six tackles. Uh, Nick Bryan had the 17 disposals, three marks, three tackles, 29 hitouts. Uh, Ned Cale had the 12 disposals, a mark, a tackle, a goal and a behind. So they're... They're three of probably the more high-profile VFL guys this year. They're the ones that are probably playing some better football in the VFL across across the year there. So, um, you know, obviously Gleeson and Zahara, because the senior players in the AFL side, have been for a long time. And um, and Brian O'Cahill are younger players coming through. But um, they all had some okay games. But I guess, you know, wet conditions isn't really going to help Nick Bryan there in the ruck. I think he played on Darcy Fort, who's, you know, probably the best player in the VFL. He's not just the playing the best football. He's playing outstanding football. And it's kind of – he can't get into that Geelong senior side given the amount of flexibility they have with their tools with Radigalia, you know, Blitzarves, uh, Stanley. So he's been stuck at um, VFL level. So to get 29 hitouts in uh, – in wet weather conditions, I think it was pretty good by Brian. Yeah, other players we had here was uh, Brennan Zerk Thatcher. So BZT had the 20 disposals, seven marks and six tackles. And reading the club's write-up, he played uh, predominantly on Josh Jenkins, who's been in really good form in the VFL. Uh, like you said, another player in the Geelong team there that can't break into their senior side. So he's kicked a lot of goals, um, has Jenkins. And BZT played on him and... Uh, according to the club's report, probably didn't get beaten to the point where he had any goals kicked directly on him. So that was quite pleasing to hear that. And uh, we'll no doubt give him a bit of confidence personally. Zach Reed had the 17 disposals and three marks. Uh, Josh Eyre uh, had the 12 disposals and mark and tackle. And uh, he played in the back line in the first half. And I think after halftime, they moved him to centre half forward to try and provide a bit of, a, bit of an option. Uh, I think playing in the back line hasn't been a bad thing for him. Um, him a bit of confidence. They said it's sort of teaching him a little bit about his body work and positioning and that. So he's got a little bit to work on there, but that's the only way to learn it is by playing in those positions. Lockie Johnson played sort of that half forward role and had the 13 disposals, uh, three tackles, tough game to play in the forward line, obviously with the 
with the one-sided scoring the way it was. Dylan Clark, uh, his first game back from a long-term injury, had 27 disposals. I think he had 18 contested possessions, two marks and seven tackles. Um, important to note that he, he come on after half time, So that's from 75% game time from playing, uh, I guess, effectively three quarters. So a really successful comeback game for Dylan. And uh, from all reports, the, the whole club got around him for that. Kia McBride had 11 disposals behind three marks and six tackles. Um, six tackles from a big man like that is, is very impressive. Uh, Sam Durham had 17 disposals, six marks, four tackles. He played out on the wing, I think, for, for large parts of the game. Tom Hurd was another one, like Lockie Johnson, who played sort of that half-forward role, probably sort of struggled to get into the game this week, had 10 disposals, two marks and four tackles. Uh, of the VFL players, so the, the VFL star performer this week, again, was Nico Kirby in the midfield, who had 37 disposals, four marks and eight tackles. So they're really great numbers, and uh, he's going very well. Yeah, yeah, I guess um, people... Probably wouldn't have seen Nick, but Nick's probably, in terms of playing style, he's probably like Darcy Parrish. He's kind of that slider, slider bodied, plays in the midfield there, kind of really, really does well at the contest, but can also spread from the contest. He gets a lot of balls, um, kind of being the release option there, really pushes back hard when he's running to help his teammates. So uh, he wins a lot of ball there. Um, I guess it's kind of interesting to see the guys like, Heard McBride, uh, air in that second half. Mostly Johnson played forward there. Um, there was a bit of a talk that you know Cahill, Johnson, and Heard being the smaller players kind of got a bit too high and couldn't get involved in much of the play. That hurt us going inside 50. And um, so with the conditions, I guess that that probably impacted them as well. Good to see Kay McBride playing forward. It seems to be that he um, he likes playing forward there and forwards kind of a bit working well for him in terms of getting him into the play, uh, getting him a bit more involved. So that's really good to see. Um, normally the Irish players kind of take the defence a bit easier, but for him it seems to be forwards what's working for him. And, you know, to obviously uh, contribute with the 12 hit-outs I think is uh, a really big thing. Obviously maybe doing that forward 50 ruck work and six tackles from a big man in the wet I think is uh, it's really, really good to see and something that, if he ever did get an AFL opportunity, would be something that we could we could use there because you know, at the moment with guys like Hooker and Wright, their the, the mobility and getting down and tackling and chasing isn't isn't always isn't always there. So if he came to the side, that would be good to see in the years to come. Uh, I guess uh, we'll kind of move on to next week, which is against. Sandra Camp. So initially it was supposed to be a bye, but due to the COVID lockdown, they've kind of rescheduled it. So we're against Sandringham at the Trevor Barker Oval at 2 p.m. on Sunday. So Sandringham is St Kilda's reserves. So um, we'll ho- hopefully see our AFL players go up against theirs. Uh, we're currently 19th out of 22, having played the eight games for two wins and six losses with a percentage of 63.9. So we're... Uh, we're obviously at the bottom there, and um, we've played one of the better uh, VFL sides in Geelong. So uh, hopefully if we play a side that's probably close to our position, we might be able to see a bit more uh, out of our younger players. Let's go to a quick break, and we'll come back with our preview of the Adelaide game. Brendan, pretty good to have another Friday night game, and good to be back at 
Marvel Stadium, I suppose, as well. We obviously that's probably our our home ground, really. Uh, we don't really play as many games at the G, but um, good to be back on the home deck. We haven't played a hell of a lot of games here this year, and we're about to play sort of a string of games there. And um, it'll be nice nice for the for the, for a young team to have a bit of consistency in at least the venue. Yes, and it'll be good for the uh, the fans to get along as well. There, kind of uh, under the roof Friday night, so people can kind of um. They work in the city, or if they work out in the suburbs, and kind of knock off early, come on in, uh, kind of get a little bit of taste of normal, uh, as opposed to kind of we've been abnormal for for two years now. So, um, getting a kind of a taste of what life used to be like. So it'll be really good, and hopefully, uh, against Adelaide, who's a team that's similarly matched to where we are in terms of um, younger players at the start of a rebuild, it might actually be. Um, quite an entertaining game there. So um, I think we'll, we'll touch on the injuries uh, to see who's available and who's not. So we'll start with us. So we've got um, Cody Brand still out with the hand. He's one to two weeks. Uh, heard that in the VFL, obviously uh, played th- through that and um, obviously he's been diagnosed with a hand afterwards. And uh, I think he had surgery and now he's just waiting for that to, uh, to heal up. Uh, Andy Phillips is similarly going to be one or two weeks away with his hammy. Uh, having done that last week in the VFL. Uh, Dylan Shield with his uh, his long-term knee, he's listed as one or two weeks away. I guess with that, that's probably um, two to three weeks away to being fit to be able to, you know, do full training and maybe, you know, start getting into some match practice in the VFL. I don't know if he could come into the uh, senior side straight away, but um, maybe if we're desperate, he might get rushed in. But I think we talked earlier in the year, Mark, we want to see our... Uh, Senior players kind of um, kind of come through the VFL, especially if they've had long-term injuries. So it'll be good. Uh, and then more longer-term injuries, we got Andy McGrath and Jai Corwell, both you know five six weeks away with their knee and hamstring respectively. Um, the longer-term injuries are obviously Hurls, uh, Irving Mosquito, and Kane Baldwin. They're all uh, for the season with uh, long-term injuries there. And the only other kind of players that. A kind of question marks are, uh, you know, um, Aaron Francis with his uh, mental uh, mental health issues and his personal challenges. And then um, Paddy Ambrose there, who I think we heard himself, uh, got a bit of a knock in the VFL there. Not quite sure where he's at. He's not mentioned, but I do recall him, him coming off early in that VFL game. Adelaide's injury list is not quite as long as ours, but if we mention some of their key ones here, Matt Crouch uh, has got a bit of a groin issue, so he's going to be gone for a, for about four weeks. Uh, Wayne Miller is um, hurt his knee and he's gone for the season. Daniel Talia uh, has a foot injury and is to be confirmed. And Taylor Walker last week um, hurt his neck uh, in a bit of a dangerous dangerous incident, um, had a bit of a stiff neck after it. So he'll be a test as to whether or not he gets up. Uh, with that one, obviously, that's a bit of a sensitive sensitive area to have injured. So uh, that that's probably the big one that we're sweating on about whether or not he gets up. Um, so on to the key opposition players. Riley O'Brien, their ruckman, he is a, a big, strong ruckman. Uh, has a good crack. He, you know, when, when you first start watching him, he maybe seems a bit unconventional and a bit old-school, old-fashioned ruckman. But he's the best and fairest winner at Adelaide. And he's um, he's a very handy ruckman, very fit. Gets around the ground very well. Um, you can take a grab in, in, around all areas of the ground. So, obviously, we're going to play Sam Draper on him, and it's going to be another good education for Sam. He had 
Max Gorn last week um, or the week before against Melbourne. Uh, then he had Reece Stanley, so very different different ruckman. And now he's going to have Riley O'Brien. So that's going to be a really good test for Sam. Yeah, no. And um, O'Brien plays a high percentage of game time too. They don't really carry a, a, a second ruckman. They might have guys pinch hit five, ten minutes here there. But he does a lot of the ruck work himself. And I think it would be a good lesson for, for, for Draper there because, you know, you talk about Max Gorn, how – Oh, he's a different. He's a difficult matchup for Draper. It's a different style and all that. Whereas Riley O'Brien, very similar style in terms of big body, strong, bang crash, kind of get below their knees, kind of look to clear the ball themselves, also help out their mids. But this would be a real test to show Sam Draper how fit you have to be to be a quality AFL ruckman because uh, O'Brien will work him over physically and then into the spread and ru- and run him off his legs. So. Um, it'll be an important matchup for us to kind of uh, at least draw even in. Um, the second one is obviously the captain, Rory Sloan, inside mid. Everybody, I think, universally across the league loves Rory Sloan. He's just one of those guys that is, he's got scary toughness in that he just throws his body into places where you probably shouldn't. And he's just courageous, inspirational, and does everything he can to kind of get the ball going forth for his team. And I think a good matchup for us is um, it's obviously uh, Darcy Parrish there. Similar height, similar body size, uh, does a lot of his work inside. So um, that's probably a nice matchup. In terms of next player, we're looking at Tom Doty. So, Tom, so Doty's kind of a guy people might not know that much about, but he's a, pretty much going to be the next captain after Sloan. He's a, he's an intercepting defender there. Uh Kind of plays in a in a similar way to the way a, a Tom Stewart played for Geelong. He's going to really dominate the the air. And we've kind of talked about how our ball use going inside fifty has been a bit poor, um, bit kind of like long dump kicks and stuff like that. He's going to gobble it up. He's either going to mark it or um or spoil it. I think a matchup for us is kind of going to be an Alec Waterman, but I think Waterman's probably a bit a bit small. It doesn't really um won't really put too much danger for Dodie. You won't have to worry about him there. So I think maybe Jake Stringer. Talk about how valuable Stringer is in the field. But I think maybe if Jakey plays a bit more forward this week, especially with the, the trouble our forward line's had in recent weeks, um, I think that's probably a good matchup. Yeah, definitely. Uh, next one on the list here was Paul Seedsman. So he's a hard-running um, winger. Uh, I guess that's, you know, it's an important role on the ground and it's really come... It's really come back into play in the last couple of years um, in AFL circles, the importance of that role. And um, I guess a, a similar matchup that we could have is maybe a Kyle Langford. Definitely got the tank, can, you know, do equal amount of damage the other way and, and um, keep him honest as well. So that might be a good matchup for Seedsman. Um, Brody Smith is one of their star backmen. He'll really set the game up from half back. So he's a good decision maker, good skills. I guess someone, uh, again, to keep him honest, would be maybe an Alec Waterman who plays a bit more of that defensive role. Um, sometimes you've got to pick, you know, like you said earlier, stop what you know. So pick the guys that you know that will create and give them something and and uh, go a bit more defensive on those guys. Uh, ben Keyes is um, is, a, is a pretty sort of aggressive in-your-face midfielder. We don't have anyone who plays that kind of role uh, for us. So... Maybe, maybe a Devin Smith. Devin Smith's a bit of an angry ant, a bit of a 
bit of aggression in him. So maybe we use this week as an opportunity for him to direct that and channel that into into a bit more of his game style rather than you know just general aggression that can be um, that can be a little bit. I guess costly in terms of free kicks and and turnovers and stuff like that. So might be a good challenge for Devon Smith to sort of channel his aggression and go head to head with someone who is of a similar nature uh, in the contest. Um, with that, do you want to go into our uh, into our questions? Yeah, sure. I'll ask the first question to you, Mark. Uh, what do we do about the forward line? <laughs> we talked about it earlier. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a dog's breakfast at the moment. Um, Personnel-wise, what, what what should we look to be doing? Do we try any, anything a bit different, you know, bring someone in from the VFL or maybe throw a defender forward or what do you think? I talked about maybe Stringer playing forward. What do you think about that? Yeah, I did like just before when you mentioned about Stringer and maybe matching up on uh, Tom, Tom Doty. Um, maybe that's a good option. I know we've been relying on Stringer to sort of chop out in the midfield a little bit more, but... Maybe we look to someone else. Maybe we give more minutes in the midfield to, you know, say an Archie Perkins or someone like that, for example. And then Stringer gets more minutes forward. Uh, I guess he's shown how damaged he can be on the scoreboard and just his creativity. So, uh, yeah, I really like the idea of sending Stringer more into the forward line and trying to tighten up that structure a little bit more, create another really good option. And someone who can sort of marshal the troops a bit too. I don't think he'll be too afraid to tell people where, where to go, where to stand, where to lead, where to make space probably need a bit of that direction at the moment. Um, the other one that we're probably missing down there a little bit, we spoke about Langford potentially playing on a wing. I guess Langford's been a bit more prominent recently because he's been getting more midfield minutes himself, but probably the, the side of that's, a hurt, that's hurting us is earlier in the year when we had more options in the midfield, Langford would push forward and it, it wouldn't be uncommon to see him take a contested mark or a mark out on a lead, go back, he's an accurate kick, kick a goal, kick two goals, three goals in the game. So, um, we do have the guys that can do it. It's just about filling their roles in other spots of the ground. So I think you're right. We'd probably turn to Jake Stringer first. What did you think? Yeah, I agree with with your comments there. Um, Stringer forward, I think, is probably a good thing for us. The only thing I was thinking of, if we get a bit, bit a bit cute and try and be a bit, you know, too smart by half, we've got Jaden Laverty, J- James Stewart. Aaron Francis potentially coming back into the side, all playing well on the back line. You know, we've got guys like BZT and, you know, Zach Reed in the VFL. Do we maybe bring those guys in to play back and throw one of those guys that have been playing regular AFL football forward? They've obviously all had experience forward at the, AF, at the AFL level. Is that something that we do? You know, like I said, might, might be too smart by half and, might kind of ruin what we're on a good thing, especially with Lav there. He's probably our number one key defender at the moment, and we wouldn't want to upset that too much. But you know, if we kind of we're at the moment there, where our backline, despite getting big scores against us, <laughs> our backline in terms of personnel is pretty good, and we've got a lot of depth there. That's the only area of the ground we've probably got depth, right? But it's the only area of the ground we've got depth. We don't have in other areas, so maybe do you try to move them out? That's something I think the, the coaches could consider. Yeah, I think it I think it worse. You know, over the years we've seen under different coaches, obviously, we've seen where we've had kind of people who can play that swing role. We've had Jack Carlisle, um, you know, Carl Hooker, those sort of guys who can 
go to both ends mid-game as well. So I think at worst, you know, you've at least got an option in someone like a James Stewart who is familiar with the forward line and how to play that role. And you could maybe, you know, chuck him down there in the second quarter or the third quarter or whenever you kind of need it. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think that that's a bad idea either, using, using the depth you've got within the, within the 22 that you select. Um, the next question I had here for you was uh, what do we do, I guess, with our back line? So if, if Tex Walker doesn't play due to his neck injury, uh, I guess uh, the next you know, major target they've got down there is young uh, Riley Tilthorpe. So um, if Walker doesn't play, is that what presents the opportunity for Stewart to maybe go forward? Or you know, who, do we, who do we play on Tilthorpe? Do we, do we match up a young player on him? What are your thoughts with how we match up on, I guess, the forwards uh, that Adelaide have? Yeah, so Adelaide, as you mentioned, got Tilthorpe. They've also got, um, you know, the young, young Billy Frampton. They've got, uh, what's his name? His brother plays at GBS. Elliot Hemmelberg is in there as well. They've also got Darcy Fogarty. So it depends who they bring in. I think uh, Hemmelberg and Frampton are more your, your ruckman size, kind of 200 centimetre. Are they a forward? Are they a ruck? Not quite sure. And then Dusty Fogarty's you more your 193 centimetre, you know, Jake Stringer type forward in terms of height and big in the body. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I don't think they'll go too tall. Um, in terms of Tilthorpe, I'd be tempted to play to play a younger defender on a Tilthorpe. So if that's uh, bringing a, a BZT or a... Uh, or a Zach Reed, kind of his first year player, kind of he's not going to worry about too much. Um, yeah, but you can only really bring one of those younger players in if you push somebody out. You know, I think Laverty, as I mentioned, I think is our number one, but could he go with guys that are 200 centimetres? That's kind of why we've, we've put, brought Stewart in. And, you know, we talked last week how Stewart was on Cameron. And even though Hawk and Laverty was doing such a good job. Well, Hawkins, they switched Laverty off him because Stewart had the height and athleticism. So it's kind of a horses for courses matchup. What happens if Aaron Francis comes in? Francis, Laverty, Ridley. I think if Francis was in, Francis Ferdley, Laverty, I think you'd have to play Stewart forward, especially when you're playing Heppelback. You've got, you've got Redmond as well. Right? So they're all that 190 centimetre plus. Um yeah, it, um, I don't have, I don't have any finite answers. I guess it's going to be dependent on um, on who the crows pick. I would like to see. I think it's going to be interesting to see who we pick as the emergencies this week. I think that's what's going to be really interesting. And then on game day, do they um, do they pull the trigger? I think it's at Eddie Had, but people have to remember the, the roof's going to be open at Eddie Had because of the um, the COVID restrictions. So. I think it's one of those weird ones. You don't really have to worry about the weather normally that he had, but if it starts to rain there, do you, do you go with the extra tall? Do you not? It'll be um, it'll be interesting to see. What do you think? Yeah, I think, like you said, to bring in someone new uh, or, or, you know, a fresh face into the team, you got to – someone else has got to make way. So, you know, just is Tom Cutler that guy again? You know, did he do enough to stay in the team? You know, some of the other guys who weren't getting uh, getting much of the ball, like Braden Ham or something like that, do they make way and we kind of rejig the side a little bit and bring in the extra defender and, you know, maybe shift Stuart forward. I, I, I think you're right. I'd like to see a young player play on um, 
on Tilthorpe. Um, so yeah, that would be that would be a good matchup to see. Like BZT played quite well on the weekend in the VFL from all reports, so it'd be good to see him get rewarded. But uh, yeah, interesting to see what they do. And then in terms of the emergency, uh, I really don't know. It's um, you know Zarakis has played that role uh, quite a few times this year, but he didn't really stand out in the VFL this week, so I can't see that happening. Um, Cutler maybe gets demoted this week to that role. If he doesn't, um, I'm not sure. I don't know who you. I don't. Know. We might see a fresh face like a like a Durham or someone like that play that role. I hope hope not because I don't want him to debut that way. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see definitely uh, how the backline matchup plays out again. And yeah, plus that that uh, sub role, the medical sub. Um, the last question here will kind of merge, I guess, into the possible ins and outs, but. We, we sort of started talking about it already, but do we bring in, in any of our VFL, um, you know, players from last week into the side? So we've sort of mentioned a few of them. Zerk Thatcher, you know, Francis is due to come back. He wasn't playing in the VFL, but um, he's due to come back potentially. Um, Ned Carl, Sam Durham, Zach Reed. There's sort of names we're talking about, or, you know, or do we go to a... Um, you know, Dylan Clark's probably not ready. He's only played the one game, so I, I don't think we're likely to see him uh, in the near future. But there's other guys there that have been playing quite well, uh, Marty Gleeson, those types of players as well. Yeah, well, I think I think we've mentioned it a number of times. If, if Francis is available for selection, he plays. Um, I think in terms of bringing someone that didn't play that, that last week that's not Aaron Francis, I think it was uh, Mac Welfy was the sub. I think... Um, he, he comes in. I think he had, uh, he would add a lot of the things that we talked about to the side that was missing on the weekend. So he's probably a good good addition in. Um, Marty Gleason's playing some really good football, but I think we talked about it. Unfortunately for Marty, his um <laughs> his position is where we've got great depth at the moment <laughs> with with uh, Ridley, Redman, Heppel. Um, yeah, I guess I, I'd. I'd like to see Marty get in to reward some good football, but where would you play him? I think the obvious decision is kind of maybe you move Heppel back into a midfield, which helps our midfield, um, and play Marty down back. But I don't see that. They seem pretty pretty firm in playing Heppel at halfback. Um, Cahill came in. I know he had, a, he had a rough game a week or two ago when he was in the AFL side. Um but, you know, he's a young player. You're going to kind of in and out. Um, yeah, it's really struggling. I think I agree with you. I'd like to see Durham. Has he played good enough football at the moment at VFL level? Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Uh, if he does come in, he'd want to he'd wanna be a 22. I don't want him to be the sub. I agree. Um, yeah, I think. But other than that, we kind of... We're kind of a bit stuck there. Like we mentioned a bit earlier, our depth's not great at the moment, and that's combined through injury. And the fact that our VFL side is so, in terms of the VFL players that we've got playing it, they're so young that we don't have those bigger bodies in there to protect them, you know, so we can blood some kids. So in years gone past, we've had guys like Aaron Heppel, you know, uh, Danny Union, who's just come back from injury, Heath Hocking. Some really senior bodies playing as VFL players each week. 
and that's allowed our younger AFL, you know, be rookie players or guys who are in their first or second year to kind of play a bit more on the outside and kind of get more in there. Whereas now guys like, say, like Lockie Johnson and Tom Hurd, they're playing there, but they're actually really important players to the VFL side. And then they get, you know, they have that additional role is a plus in terms of responsibility, but they're getting sat on, they're getting beaten up, they're playing against... 26, 27-year-old players that have, you know, had many seasons under their belt. So, yeah, I think that I think the depth generally has hurt us. And then when you compound injuries, you know, and then not having go, having guys that would normally be playing 10 or 15 games in the VFL, but actually playing in the AFL, you know. In years gone by, you know, an Archie Perkins or a, you know, a Nick Cox or a Harry Jones – They'll be playing VFL football, like we suggested at the start of the year. They would get the development in the VFL, but because of where we are, they're getting their development in the AFL. So there's no kids to bring in because the kids are already in the side. So, <laughs> so, you, so yeah, I think it's a, it's it's a hard one. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think the same. I think we we don't really have a lot to pick from, unfortunately, and and um, I guess via the VFL form on the weekend, there's not, you know, probably. Zerk Thatcher to me stands as out as the one who probably had a pretty good game by what the club sort of stated. So, but I think that's going to be hard for him to come back in as well because if Francis is available, like you said, Francis is ahead of him. So, I to be honest, I can't really see a lot of change this week other than maybe the one you mentioned, uh, Guelphy probably brings a bit of tackle, pressure, effort, that kind of stuff that we missed a little bit on last Friday. So, I could see maybe him coming in and maybe a Tom Cutler dropping out or a Braden Ham dropping out, um, someone who didn't have quite as good a game in that respect. So that's probably the only change I'm really predicting this week, I think, is maybe uh, someone drops out to be the sub and Guelphie goes into the 22. Um, we'll move on to the result in the margin. I'm thinking, like you said earlier, I think this could actually be a, a really exciting and close game to watch. Two clubs at similar level of development. Um, could be a little bit of a shootout, could be a high turnover game as well. So it'll uh, be interesting to see what we get. But I'm expecting a pretty a pretty close game. And I think that we'll, I think we'll be good enough to bounce back. I think the, the advantage of it being at home, I think, is what tips me in our favour. If it was in Adelaide, I probably would have tipped the Crows. But uh, I think I'm tipping the Bombers and I think we'll get it done by five points. What about you? Um. This is a game we're definitely good enough to win. Um, I just think that, and I agree that being at home favours us, and I will think it'll be a tight result. I just think at the moment, the past two weeks, I think maybe, maybe I'm a, maybe I'm looking at this too pessimistically, and I'm a bit a bit negative there. I just think Adelaide's playing some not too bad football, and I think they're trending a bit positive. I think with us, with the, the, the losses in the two previous weeks, I think maybe the guys are feeling a bit down on themselves there. They kind of – maybe the, we talk about the young guys in the forward line being a bit slow and not, you know, not gelling as well. And maybe that's because they're a bit down and because they've been beaten by two pretty good sides. So um, I could maybe see Adelaide winning this game. But, again, it will be under 10 points. Right, we could easily win. I think if we did win and we, we showed a lot of exuberance and passion and 
all the tackling and all that was back. I'd really like to see that. Talk about possible ins and outs. This in the perfect world, you know, you can't deal with injuries. But imagine if we had a had a fit and firing Irving Mosquito. But he's the exact type of player we need. Who could have come in, had a lot of spark, right? Tackling, just a big smile on his face. Could have done a couple of brilliant things out of nowhere with a blind turned or, you know, done something. And it could really have really sparked us. So I guess it's kind of um that's what we've lacked in the past two weeks is a spark. And, you know, who does that come from? I guess is a thing, you know. The obvious person is, oh, Chipper, he's an excitement machine and he can bring us a spark. But he, you can't be keep going to the well with one man all the time, all the time. Uh, Nick Hines had a couple of down weeks in terms of there's not really running and flair and aggressiveness from the back line, um, you know. Jakey Stringer's, you know, does some does some amazing things. But as we said, we're using him so much in the midfield. We need him a bit more forward to do that explosive stuff. So, um, yeah, maybe if the coaches – that's probably what I would look to get out of the game is maybe kind of bring a bit more of that back to the side and kind of maybe get that flair there. You know, if if we played an Archie Perkins for – if a rejig of a role, could that get something out of Archie? Imagine if – like you said, I think you said earlier, play Nick Cox for – imagine if we played Nick Cox and Harry Jones as our full forward and centre-half forward and they had – they don't have to kick, you know, 10 goals between them, but just – they little moments here and there that'll create a bit of energy, you know. You know, we bring in Zach Reed in, in a back line, and all of a sudden he's taking marks and you know playing really well on Tilthorpe. Those type of things, I think, it um is what we need really, and that's kind of what I look to get out of the game. Yeah, I really like that. Get a bit of the spark back, and um, that'll that'll no doubt lift the team as a whole and create momentum. So yeah, I really like that. Uh, that pretty much does us for episode 25. The um, social media, you'll find us on Facebook and Instagram uh, by searching Essendon People Podcast. Um, so I think that's it from me other than uh, there's today was the 20-year the anniversary of the famous Gary Moorcroft mark. So that was, uh, I hadn't really thought about it in a while, to be honest. And then it popped up today in the social media from the club and, that was a nice memory to relive. Uh, it was a it was a great mark, and yeah, celebrated the the twenty years of that mark, which was good. It was so weird when I heard it was twenty years because it was like it's it's like it was yesterday, and it was like it was even longer ago as well. It's kind of thing you think twenty years, twenty years was it really twenty years? And you think about like. Jesus, it's it's been a while ago, but it doesn't feel like twenty years. And then you think back to thinking. How old we are? We like early thirties. We would have been like, you know, still in primary school when he took that mark. And obviously, it's one of those marks you remember. And you know, so yes, it is a long time ago. But I guess you think about just how horrible it's been <laughs> in the twenty years since then. And you see the footage how it's all blurry and it's not. You know, you think how far the world come in twenty years, but also. Yeah, it's just it's a good moment to, to live on, but unfortunately, a lot of the good moments that we're living on are now, are now starting to become twenty years old. You know, we talk about you know how many times in this podcast just alone have we said, "Oh, Devin Smith, go play in the back pocket, play a Mark Johnson role." Oh, 
if we had a Paul Barnard or a Dean Solomon, they wouldn't allow that, you know, the bullying of Zach Merritt to go on. We'd have that. 20 years ago, like, there'd be – there's people now who are born and, you know, in universities, people could be born and have kids of their own, right, and don't even – don't even know who Paul Barnard, Jamie Howard, Dean Song, Gary Moorcroft, they would have never have seen that mark. I can guarantee you there are Essendon supporters right now that are 15 and would have been seeing this mark for the first time. And they go, who's Gary Moorcroft? <laughs> and it's just, it boggles the mind. Uh, and I think, I think it's time maybe we kind of get that new generation. This is what I really hope this new rebuild does is that, we have the nude Gary Moorcrofts. We, we get a Ned Cahill, you know. We get, you know, we develop some new players. So we're not having to carry this legacy all the time of having having these older things. And I guess whilst we're here, Mark, I might – there's an old story here from like – I think it was Terry Danaher or Tim Watson or whoever. Simon Madden may have even been. Some of those guys, he won the, the flags in the, in the mid-'80s. They say – when they came through, they were getting really sick and tired of hearing all the stories of the of the flags in the sixties, of the Jack Clarks, of the Ken Frasers, the Barry Davises. Because, you know, they won in I think they won in sixty two and sixty five under John Coleman as coach, right? But by the time eighty five, they were like they'd been there six, seven years and they were getting sick and tired of kept being reminded about these stories. That was the only success the club had had in so long because the 70s were so dire for us, right, as a club, that everyone kept harping back to their time. And eventually, they was, I think Simon was saying, we got so sick of it and we obviously had a good group together that really galvanised us to push forward and create our own history. And, you know, obviously us growing up in the 90s and all that, or we, you know, the baby bombers, whatever, but even post-baby bombers in the mid to late 90s, it was always about, the guys in the 80s, right, how good that 80s side was, right? And then, you know, we obviously got to experience 2000 there, but I just hope that guys now are getting sick and tired of hearing about the 2000s guys, right? And that and that's really going to drive them to create their own success and be those the equivalent of what the guys in the 80s were compared to the 2000s. Yeah, 20 years. It's a good point. Yeah, when you think about the number of years uh, with our success, that's why it'll be uh, pretty nice again to hopefully at least see the VFLW get a win in a final this week and build, build from there. And uh, hopefully the the senior men's team can follow suit soon as well. Um, okay, uh, that does me. So I think that wraps up this episode for us, Brendan. Go Dons. Go Bombers.